When news broke in August that Miami Dolphins owner Stephen Ross had hosted a $250,000 per person fundraiser for President Trump, the internet was overrun with social media posts bashing Ross for even considering such an idea. The membership offices of SoulCycle and Equinox, both of which Ross now owns but were founded on the culture of progressivity and inclusion, were also overrun by people looking to cancel their memberships in protest of Ross's political views. The story remained in the national news for days and left those who credit SoulCycle and Equinox gyms for bettering their physique and self-esteem, and in some cases helping them build a sense of community, wondering whether they would be judged harshly for continuing to frequent these establishments. I will say that boycotting SoulCycle and Equinox, which have a grand total of 223 locations worldwide, is not going to do much to Stephen Ross's bottom line. While he owns those companies, his money and his vanity are tied up in related companies, his real estate company, and the Miami Dolphins, whose 2019 edition is currently on pace to become one of the worst teams in NFL history. If you want to punish Ross, those would be the places to start. But I wonder how many of those who are outraged know the person Ross most likely went through, Todd Ricketts, who heads fundraising for the Trump 2020 re-election campaign, is also a co-owner of the Chicago Cubs brother of the team's board chairman, Tom Ricketts, and son of Joe Ricketts. In this episode of Wrecking the Toy Department, where we don't just stick to sports because we don't have the privilege of doing so, I'm going to introduce you to the Ricketts family, particularly the patriarch, Joe Ricketts. Ricketts, who started the trading company of TD Ameritrade, sold $403 million worth of its stock to fund his son Tom's purchase of the Cubs at the height of the Great Recession in 2009. And Joe Ricketts is responsible for something much more pernicious, vile, and abhorrent than anything Stephen Ross may have done in holding a one-off fundraiser for the president. It involves the coming together of Joe Ricketts' emails, his team's decision to leave the public airwaves to create its own cable TV network, and the untold millions of dollars he and his sons have both spent and raised to influence public policy. And what he's done makes how I feel about the Cubs and being a Cubs fan much different from the carefree way I celebrated the team and its iconic broadcaster Harry Carey as a kid back in the 1980s. The sun is shining in Chicago. Hello again, everybody. This is Harry Carey at Wrigley Field, where the Cubs are ready to open a three-game series against the San Diego Padres. Back then, I had no idea who Van Halen was and thought their 1984 smash hit Jump was merely a lead-in to WGN-TV's Cubs broadcast. It wasn't until 1991, when I first saw the video on MTV, that I learned otherwise. Jump still remains one of my favorite songs ever, because it takes me back to one of my favorite childhood memories, watching Cubs day games. Like all teams are for their fans, the Cubs have been a constant, a team to root for, to celebrate, and sometimes to mourn. As I've moved into my adult life, the voice that's been a constant has been that of Cubs TV announcer Len Casper, 
and for a few short days in the fall of 2016, it was Joe Buck, the voice every sports fan loves to hate. Here's a pitch. Swing and a miss. A no-hitter. Carlos Zambrano has no hit. The Houston Astros. Oh, baby. Here's the 0-1. This is going to be a tough play. Play. The Cubs with the World Series. Brian makes the play. It's over. And the Cubs have finally won it all. Those calls, courtesy of Comcast Sportsnet Chicago, WGN and Fox. I remember being so thrilled that I got to see the Cubs win the World Series and that the victory parade brought together 5 million people to see the celebration in person. But a couple of news stories that broke in the first week of February have caused me more agony as a Cubs fan than watching the team crash out of playoff contention during the final days in which their games could be found on the public airwaves. The first of these incidents came February 5th, when the website Splinter.com published a slew of Joe Ricketts' personal emails, all of which can objectively and unambiguously be called racist. The reason his personal emails matters because the man's a billionaire. He can hire and fire people, and he has not been shy about using his money and power to try to affect public policy. It's also because it was his money that his son Tom used to buy the Cubs. Five years ago, my son Tom called me and he said, Dad, uh, the Tribune has just changed hands. They own the Cubs, and they're going to be selling the Cubs, so we ought to get ready to buy them. I said, why would I want to buy a baseball team or any sports team? I'm not a fan. I'm not a spectator. I've got ADD. I can't watch a whole game of anything for very long. And he said, I'll tell you, Dad, they sell every ticket, every game, win or lose. I said, now you're talking about a business. Now you now you got my interest. So um, with Tom as our leader, we went down the road to, uh, to buy the Cubs, and it was a long, hard road. And if you did not love the Cubs the way my son did, you would not have stayed the, the uh, course. Dan Bernstein, a midday host on WSCR 670 The Score in Chicago, wrote in 2012 that during the purchase price negotiations for the Cubs, Joe Ricketts was quoted as saying, My son Pete and I said, we're done. Tom, listen, we're not behind you anymore. You either draw the line in the sand or you have to give up because we're not going to do it. Joe Ricketts and his son Pete, the current Republican governor of Nebraska and also co-owner of the Cubs, were the ones calling the shots when it came to Tom Ricketts buying the team. That's why in the context of the Cubs and professional sports, these emails matter. Now I'm not going to talk my way around them. Instead, I'll read a small sample of what he sent to, among other people, his own sons. Christians and Jews can have a mutual respect for each other to create a civil society. As you know, Islam cannot do that. Therefore, we cannot ever let Islam become a large part of our society. Muslims are naturally our enemy due to their deep antagonism and bias against non-Muslims. This was the immediate reaction from Bernstein and his midday co-host on The Score, Connor McKnight. I can't answer for, for you, the Muslim Cub fan today, but it's clear that the guy that bought the Cubs doesn't think much of you doesn't think you're entirely human. There's been a couple of decisions over the last little bit that have affected segments of Cubs fans in a very particular way toward how they'd like to um, identify or, or choices they've made or people that they happen to be in their lives. And I think it's probably affecting more than we'd imagine 
when it comes to how you'd like to be a Cub fan. Reading that email now, nearly eight months after it was published, I feel sick to my stomach. And what McKnight said, how do these sentiments affect what it means to be a Cubs fan? Can I be a fan of the team without appearing to support this kind of overt bigotry and racism? I imagine this is what those people debating canceling their Soul Cycle and Equinox memberships must have struggled with. What does it mean to be a Cubs fan? With each successive email I read, it became more difficult to define or defend because, believe it or not, the sentiments expressed get worse than what I just read. In the Million Man March, you believed you were marching for your race and rights. If we marched for our race and rights, you would call us racist. You are proud to be black, brown, yellow, and orange, and you're not afraid to announce it. But when we announce our white pride, you call us racist. I am proud, but you call me racist. Why is it that only whites can be racist? The emphasis on certain words is my own, but I imagine they would be Joe Ricketts as well. There were jokes about the N-word, and a question positing whether, since they have BET, Black Entertainment Television, why can't white people have WET, White Entertainment Television? And there's also an extraordinarily long screed repeating and endorsing Donald Trump's bogus birther conspiracy theory about President Barack Obama. These emails aren't racially charged or insensitive, they're flat-out racist, despite whatever Joe Ricketts might want you to think. But why should you think otherwise? Rather than come forth publicly, he hid behind this written apology posted on his website. Quote, I deeply regret and apologize for some of the exchanges I had in my emails. Sometimes I received emails that I should have condemned. Other times I've said things that don't reflect my value system. I strongly believe that bigoted ideas are wrong. This is what the commissioner's office had to say. While many of the emails were not written by Mr. Ricketts, the content is extremely offensive and completely at odds with the values and principles of Major League Baseball. I don't understand why Major League Baseball threw in the red herring that Joe Ricketts didn't write the emails, but I'll get to that later. Forced to respond to his father's emails, this is the written statement Tom Ricketts released the same day. We are aware of the racially insensitive emails in my father's account that were published by an online media outlet. Let me be clear. The language and views expressed in those emails have no place in our society. My father is not involved with the operation of the Chicago Cubs in any way. I am trusted with representing this organization and our fans with the respect for people of all backgrounds. These emails do not reflect the culture we've worked so hard to build at the Chicago Cubs since 2009. Once Tom Ricketts made his statement, it fell to Theo Epstein, the team's president of baseball operations, to meet the media and be the first representative of the Cubs to speak publicly on the subject. He began by echoing Tom Ricketts' sentiment, saying that the views reflected in the Ricketts' emails have no place in baseball or society at large, and that he found it particularly upsetting, as do I, that some Cubs fans had to consider even the possibility of a connection between their favorite team and the opinions expressed in those emails. He then makes a forceful argument for why diversity can only serve to benefit those who encounter it, whether in baseball, sports, or society at large. Baseball has been a great vehicle to help us grow and to help us get outside of our own little world and to start to appreciate difference and start to celebrate diversity and start to uh, understand different people's perspectives. I mean, when you play baseball, when you, when you work in baseball, when you're around baseball every day, you're forced to be exposed to and start to understand and respect everybody's different backgrounds and to 
um, appreciate and celebrate difference and diversity. And it's been such a force for good, you know, for, for, for helping us expand our own views, help us develop empathy. When, you know, if you want to win in baseball, you have to embrace diversity fully. You know, being around people from different backgrounds has to help you increase your empathy and understand people, or else you won't last long in this game. So, you know, honestly, that's what I think of when I think about baseball. When I think about the Cubs, I, I know it's an easy target right now, our slogan, everybody in, but that's genuinely what I think about. When you look across our clubhouse, when you look in our front office, when you look at how we treat each other, when you look at how much respect we have for people of different backgrounds, we are everybody, you know, we, we do stand for everybody in. Sadly, Epstein was almost by necessity the lone voice in baseball to full-throatedly condemn Joe Ricketts' opinions. However, as Score Afternoon co-host Danny Parkins said the day the emails were published, that should not have been the case. I think as straight white men of the privileged class, often it is our responsibility to speak out for those less privileged. Sometimes when there's a racist act against a black person, for example, people are like, imagine being black when this is going on. And of course, they would be the most directly impacted by it. But sometimes it is powerful for those who are not directly impacted by it to also speak truth to saying, like, that stuff was abhorrent, it was racist, and it was wrong. And that's what I think all reasonable people did and are doing when they see those Joe Ricketts emails. I have been on the receiving end of the kind of emails Joe Ricketts sent, received, and forwarded. It's painful and distressing to know, to have actual proof, that a family member believes this and is okay with saying or repeating something so awful. A visceral feeling that hit me again like lightning when Parkins described receiving the same type of emails from his grandfather. My grandfather absolutely has received and sent forward, forward, slash, 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 Obama is a Muslim. And it's been really sad and hard to see like this brilliantly smart man who, yes, has my whole life been Republican and conservative, but like recently through the power of being on Facebook and the Internet, have his brain corrupted by these far right neocon memes and it's a sad thing to watch. But when it happens to my 90-year-old grandfather, the cost is it makes for some awkward conversation. It's a vote that was always Republican in a red state of Kansas. He doesn't employ anyone. He doesn't discriminate against anyone, at least openly. It's hard to watch and it's hard to see. And it's definitely been some problems within the family. But like, it is what it is. As sad as such an occurrence might be to witness in one's family. For me, and I assume for Danny Parkins as well, the way our relatives act on this is to forward these despicable and abhorrent emails and to cast their votes based on such beliefs. And that's it. But for some people, it's just the starting point, the springboard for actions that end in violence, tragedy, and sometimes the deaths of innocent people who happen to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Sadly, there have been far too many to count in the past few years, but here's a sampling a white supremacist gunning down a black prayer group at a South Carolina church, a gunman mowing down congregants at a Pittsburgh synagogue, or the acts of people echoing the words of the current president of the United States, the slaughter of dozens of congregants at a mosque in New Zealand, someone trying to mail pipe bombs to prominent Democrats, and another gunman killing more than 20 people at a Walmart in El Paso, Texas, shortly after posting a hate-filled anti-immigrant manifesto online. They have been told over and over by President Trump and others with malicious intent that their country is being invaded 
and that their culture and way of life is being threatened and in danger of extinction. Adding to that chorus of voices telling you these things is the person who bought the Cubs, and he has been doing it for years. And that's just one reason that I find Major League Baseball's decision to withhold further action because Ricketts didn't write those emails. Specious. He forwarded them with approving comments, showing he both believes and endorses their content. As Dan Bernstein said the day the emails were published, they, not the apology, tell you who Joe Ricketts is. You clearly don't believe that bigoted ideas are wrong based on what we know about the steps taken to influence certain policy using a ton of money. Let's take a look at how Joe Ricketts has done so. From 2006 to 2012, he gave nearly half a million dollars to the Nebraska Republican Party, currently headed by his son Pete, to the anti-tax group Club for Growth, and to a political action committee that supported Mitt Romney for president in 2012. Also in 2012, he put in $12.5 million to establish his own super PAC to back fiscally conservative candidates. He's since put up a million dollars of his own money to back Donald Trump's election in 2016 and raised funds for a pro-Trump organization that's not required by law to disclose its donors. Now, in 2012, Ricketts' super PAC was presented with a 54-page proposal for an ad campaign entitled The Defeat of Barack Hussein Obama, which uses his middle name for obvious reasons, including its similarity to the deposed Iraqi despot Saddam Hussein and because the name is associated with Muslims. The plan for the campaign, subtitled The Ricketts Plan, was to link President Obama to the most incendiary comments his former spiritual advisor, the Reverend Jeremiah Wright Jr., made in his race-related sermons. Those sermons made Wright a highly charged figure in the 2008 presidential campaign and ultimately led then-candidate Obama to break with him. The campaign included preparation for how to respond to accusations of race baiting, which, it seems to me, was the ad plan's entire reason for being. It was rightly rejected by both the McCain and Romney campaigns, and was yet another thing that Tom Ricketts had to apologize for. And as he did back in February, he went out of his way to note that his father is not involved with the team and that he, whose political donations are much less than, but still track closely to his father's, is really not involved in what his father does on the political side. Hopefully, when it came to this particular campaign, Tom Ricketts was not, because what the ad plan showed, in a scary way, was how a single person can use his or her money, power, and influence to substantially affect an election. It wasn't until the 2016 election that Joe Ricketts found a willing partner for his campaign trafficking and race baiting and just plain flat out racism in Donald Trump, whose favorite base rallying cries include how the fake news media is an enemy of the people. Here's where we get to the most dangerous aspect of the Joe Ricketts emails the birtherism, and the made-up stories about Muslims, blacks, and other minorities. This is easy, debunked meme-mongering here, though just the worst, most pernicious corners of the internet that bring this stuff out to provide him his, his yucks and what he thinks is real news. It is the last two words Dan Bernstein uses there, real news, the basic facts on which society's decisions are made. It's one thing to argue over what should be done after considering the facts, but as Danny Parkins and his Afternoon Drive co-host on The Score, Dan McNeil, explained, it's another matter entirely when even basic facts are a constantly moving target. A ton of really smart people, lawyers, doctors, traders, people that don't have any sort of background in sourcing, necessarily, 
I'm just like, oh, yeah, okay. Fox News. It has news in the title. Says, Must be true. Says fair and balanced. Oh, MSNBC has news in the, in the title. They sit behind a news desk. Gotta be true. Gotta be true. That's the cable television version of it. Now there's the internet version of it. And you get things like InfoWars and Breitbart and Alex Jones. And you get all these things that are just non-sourced. It's scary. It really is. I'm telling you from conversations with my grandfather who is a – He's written books. He's a historian. He's a smart man. I would mm-hmm. he'd be a lifeline on who wants to be a millionaire. He is a wildly smart, well-read individual. It's just it, it. There's things that have eroded in his life and in the news that he consumes and his time on the internet. And it's scary. It really is. We don't we don't agree on ninety eight percent of the scientific community can say one thing all around the world. About the state of climate change, but like because two percent don't, yeah. they're like, oh well, we got to treat that as a one v one debate. White trust science when the pastor of your church says otherwise. That's the thing, and everyone's got their own source that they go to, and it and that that to me is what came out of those Joe Ricketts emails, and it feels like there's been a true erosion of fact, and f- facts feel like they have never mattered less than they do right now. And one of the companies hell-bent on assaulting the facts of facts is the Cubs' new media partner, Sinclair Broadcasting. A day after the Ricketts emails were published, the Cubs announced plans to form their own marquee sports network, a subscription-pay cable network with Sinclair. Sinclair, like Fox News, has devoted itself to defending the Trump administration, no matter the issue, and even hired Boris Epstein, a former White House press aide, as its chief political analyst. It appears Epstein's work for Sinclair mostly consists of recording pro-Trump must-runs, segments every Sinclair-owned station must air during its local newscasts. In this intellectually bereft segment, Epstein argues that it's the national media who's using the word shithole in a distasteful manner in reporting on President Trump's use of the word to describe the African and Caribbean nations where many people are fleeing in hopes of a better life in the United States. Trump added that he would rather see more immigrants coming from lily-white Scandinavian countries like Norway. Media outlets such as CNN are cursing up a storm. Not only are the anchors on the networks cursing left and right using the word, it has been written in bold letters across their screens. President Trump said the word once in a private meeting. How is it okay to repeat it and splash it on the screen hundreds of times? I believe that makes no sense. Not all of Sinclair's must-runs are so obviously pro-Trump. However, they still echo conservative talking points that are meant to erode trust in the mainstream media and in facts themselves, such as this leaked script from an announcement Sinclair wanted local anchors to deliver. The script, which John Oliver brilliantly skewers on his HBO show last week tonight, echoes one of Trump's favorite talking points about the national media, that it publishes fake stories. We are concerned about the troubling trend of irresponsible one-sided news stories plaguing our country. Unfortunately, some members of the media use their platforms to push their own personal bias and agenda to control exactly what people think. This is extremely dangerous to our democracy. Now, some Sinclair anchors complained to the press, saying, this is so manipulative and I felt like a prisoner of war recording a message. When you see just how many local stations were forced to read it and you watch them together, as many have been doing online in the last couple of days, you begin to realise the true effect of Sinclair's reach and power. 
Unfortunately, some members of the media. Some members of the media. Some members of the media. Some members of the media use their platforms to push their own personal bias. To push their own personal bias and agenda to control exactly what people think. This is extremely dangerous to our democracy. Yeah. Nothing says we value independent media like dozens of reporters forced to repeat the same message over and over again like members of a brainwashed cult. There is a pernicious motive to this, the same as President Trump's reason for constantly returning to his fake news theme. It is to purposely muddy the waters, to undercut people's trust that anyone in a position of authority will tell them the truth, to the point that the only people they trust to tell them the truth are Trump, Fox News, Sinclair's news editorials, conspiracy-laden websites, Twitter and Facebook posts, and even Russian bots. But their real purpose is to undermine the objective matter of facts, eroding them until they become nothing more than what feels right at a given moment, truth be damned. In an interview broadcast on The Score, Cubs president of business operations, Crane Kenny, said the Cubs would have complete control over their station's programming and pointed to the Tennis Channel as an example of a Sinclair-owned property with no political content. He's correct when he says that Sinclair's news arm doesn't influence the Tennis Channel's programming and that Fox News doesn't influence a game that Fox Sports does. I understand, as Kenny said, that the fact the announcement about the Cubs' partnership came a day after Joe Ricketts' emails were published was a coincidence. The timing of the announcement was probably an unfortunate coincidence, but that's not how I see the intent. As Dan Bernstein wrote in 2012 about the purchase of the Cubs, it was Joe Ricketts who paid for the team, and Joe Ricketts who told his son Tom when and where to draw the line in the sand when it came to negotiating the purchase price. In Bernstein's words, without Joe, no deal. Joe's money, Joe's business. And judging from Joe's emails, he seems sympathetic to Sinclair's news editorial policies. Sports television is big business, with the potential for the kind of profit that can definitely buttress a company's bottom line, particularly when subscribers are paying, as recent reports estimate, close to $6 a piece per month. And that doesn't count potential advertising revenue, the probably low cost of non-game programming, and the fact that the Chicago Cubs are one of the marquee names in professional sports. And they are now set to become a crown jewel of Sinclair Broadcasting. This is why, despite Crane Kenny's protestations, the Cubs' television deal seems slimy to me. I don't like it because it looks as though the team is asking its fans to pay money to further the political beliefs of the man who paid for the team. I know they're not the political views of Theo Epstein, who made sure the 2016 Cubs championship team visited the White House before President Obama left office. It does not appear that Joe Ricketts' political views have affected the team's day-to-day -day operations. The people in charge of those operations seem like good people, as do most of the players the Cubs put on the field. The organizations like SoulCycle and Equinox, progressive and inclusive, and a team that tries every day to live up to its 2019 slogan of everybody in. I root for the Cubs, for Theo Epstein, for the players on the field, particularly Chris Bryant and Javier Baez, whose on-field play can be so electrifying as to inspire awe. But I struggle over whether I'm doing the right thing. Between Joe Ricketts emails and the team's decision to partner with Sinclair, I can't root for the Cubs in the same way I used to, as a kid in the 80s or as an adult in 2016. When I read those emails, read about Joe Ricketts' aborted 2012 ad campaign, that one co-owner is heading Donald Trump's re-election fundraising efforts, and the team's decision to create a cable network with Sinclair, I can't help but take that into consideration about how I feel about the Cubs moving forward. Because I think about this story, 
And there's one point on which I disagree with the radio pundits in Chicago. I do think Joe Ricketts' ideals have infected the team. How can I look at the Ricketts' emails and the decision to partner with Sinclair and think otherwise? That's a huge problem. But how do I make my opinion and distaste matter? I'm still looking for that answer. This episode of Wrecking the Toy Department was voiced, written, produced, and edited by me, Jake Williams. Thank you for listening.